Greetings, everybody, and welcome to The Shakespearean Student. For this, January, as you probably know, is... For January, I am doing Twelfth Night as my play for the month, and the tail end of uh, December. This, of course, has to do with the fact that the play Twelfth Night refers to a holiday at the close of the Christmas season. So I decided I'd take the month of January to examine this play just in time for the real holiday. Today I'll be talking about one of the most intriguing characters of the play, Malvolio. Anthony Shear, an actor with the Royal Shakespeare Company, an actor with the Royal Shakespeare Company, wrote in his book, Year of the King, that even the worst Malvolio is funnier than the, than the funniest... Even the worst Malvolio is funnier than the best Festi. Well, I have an interesting insight to both those parts because I've played them both. And I thought I would go into a little bit of detail talking about these two characters, my experience, some advice, and um, a few of my favorite passages. With Malvolio, this was a part that I played my senior year in high school. It was my first principal Shakespearean role. My director had chosen to set the play in the 1940s and making and he made uh, and he made Illyria into a hotel rather than a fantasy country as it is in Shakespeare's original play. Malvolio was basically the concierge or the um, head housekeeper in charge of the hot- uh, uh, in charge of the whole hotel. This really helped the character uh, for me. This, this right now, um, this change made it uh, very easy for me to get in touch with the character, and it worked perfectly with Shakespeare's text. Mariah describes Malvolio as a time pleaser, who believes that because he is crammed full of virtues, so he thinks, that all around him love him. Basically, Malvolio is a snob, and he devotes his life to hard work. This might not be how I start this podcast, I'll say. Malvolio is a character who is referred to... Malvolio is the character who is constantly picked on in this play by Sir Toby, Mariah, and Sir Andrew, and to a lesser extent, Festy. He he has been played in the past by some of his uh, of uh, the greatest actors in in, um, in Shakespeare, including Laurence Olivier, Nigel Hawthorne, Richard Briers. and the character and the character is unquestionably funny. Anthony Shear, an actor at the Royal Shakespeare Company, once said with frustration in one of his uh, once said with frustration that even the, when he was 
once said in frustration when he was playing Festy that even the worst Malvolio is funnier than the best Festy. I think that the appeal of this character lies in the fact that he's basically a nerd, which means that at times he inspires annoyance, frustration, and sometimes even anger from the uh, um, the, the characters, uh, from the other characters, and from the audience. Yet at the same time, his des- he has a very human desire to be loved, to to be noticed for his accomplishments, and to be rewarded for his good works. And the fact that Shakespeare shows a reversal, how he goes from being proud to being humble, shows us a lot about um, the nature of our uh, of what we hold as a society. I played Malvolio my senior year in high school. It was the final play. I was very glad to go out on it, and I was uh, considered, um, and I considered it an honor to play this part, especially when I found out that actors like Laurence Olivier and Donald Sinden had played it. My director chose to set the play in the 1940s and changed Olivia, and changed uh, Illyria into a hotel, with Olivia being the proprietor. Malvolio, therefore, was played as the concierge in charge of the whole hotel, which really helped me figure out what kind of person he is. And it totally works with the text because Mariah calls him a time pleaser. In other words, he's somebody who's married to his job married to his work, has no interest and no time for fun. A lot of Malvolio's... Uh, Malvolio even mentions that he um, it plays with uh, his... He plays with a pocket watch in his spare time. One would imagine... I, when I played him, I spent a lot of time glancing at my watch and frowning, trying to... Uh, as if... Uh, gauging the response time of all the um, of all the cooks and maids who worked at the hotel. I also got to play. I also got to uh, wear a tuxedo when I played the part, which informed the movements. When I auditioned for the part, I really wanted Festy. Who wouldn't? Because he's a clown. Uh, he gets to sing a lot. He gets to dance a lot, and he gets to rag on everybody in the show. But the director said, I trusted most of you. At... But the director said that since mostly seniors auditioned for the big roles, he trusted them to know who, what their uh, best part would, what part would be best suited for them. And I was the only person who wrote Malvolio. And he said specifically that you would make a good festi but I think that you would make a great Malvolio. Whether I did or not is not the issue, and I'm not going to toot my own horn. I am, however, going to share the insights I gained from playing this character in the hopes that if you audition for the part, you can benefit from my experience.
one of the first things my director did to help me understand the character was give me a copy of a book called Actors on Acting, where there was a chapter where Donald Sinden, an actor from the Royal Shakespeare Company back in the 1970s, talked about his portrayal of Malvolio. One thing I remember that I found very useful, the first thing that Malvolio says, uh, the first time Malvolio speaks, it's in answer to a question. Olivia is marveling at Festi's wit and how he seems to be able to talk out his way out of anything. And she says to him, What think you of this fool, Malvolio? Doth he not bend? And Malvolio, quick and to the point, says, Yes. And shall do till the pains of death shake him. Infirmity that, that decays the wise doth ever make the better fool. In the book, I recall Sindon saying that rather than saying simply yes, he changed it to yes to give the impression that Malvolio is a bored, stuck-up, upper-crust person who has nothing but contempt for Festi and everything he's, he stands for. Malvolio and Festi are very much polar opposites, much like the Joker and Batman, where Malvolio is austere, often dressed in black, while Malvolio is often austere, humorless, and often dressed in black. Festi, of course, as a clown, is dressed in many colorful uh, garments, sometimes carries, uh, um, sometimes juggles, sometimes uh, dressed in uh, clown makeup. Malvolio's worldview, um, Malvolio's worldview seems to be derived from his religion. Mariah reveals at one point that he's a Puritan. Now, the Puritans were famously opposed to fun. When they took over the English Parliament in the 1640s, they banned theater, closed down all the playhouses, and canceled and made Christmas and celebrating Christmas illegal. And this was the type... Plus, in Shakespeare's own lifetime, Puritans would often picket performances at the Globe. As you saw, as you might have seen in the film Shakespeare in Love. Cut that line if you can't find a clip. So Malvolio, with this in mind, I knew that Malvolio was a was a type of person who was driven by the desire to please, to please his God, to advance himself, and through self-denial and hard work. If I can equate Malvolio to any modern-day characters, it would probably be... The closest example would probably be Dwight Schrute from The Office, a person who is obsessed with improving his social standing, improving his skills as a fighter, and sucking up to his boss to improve his status within the company. Malvolio refers to himself as... Um, is referred to as a steward 
yet at one point in the play, he refers to uh, um, him. He gets very excited when he thinks that uh, um, Olivia has referred to him as a fellow or an equal. This reminds me, of course, of Dwight Schrute, who is, whose technical title is assistant to the regional manager, but goes around calling himself assistant regional manager. Okay, back up from that tangent a little bit. Even the names Malvolio and Festi are polar opposites. Festi means fest, as in party, jokes, fun, that sort of thing. Whereas Malvolio means wanting, uh, uh, means to want something that is wrong. In his case, he wants to become a count, despite the fact that he does not have the social standing. He was not born into the aristocracy, so he has no business wanting to be a count. This gives the impression that Malvolio is tries extra hard to impress everybody with his efficiency, with his dedication, and above all, his his disdain for anything fun, anything that would waste time. Malvolio appears about five times in the play. Check that. When I got the part, I paid close attention to not only when Malvolio speaks, but also when characters speak about him. I'd like to go through a few of my favorite scenes and talk a little bit about what we can learn from him. No, no, I'll do that more in depth in the, um, in the blog post. Malvolio, the most, uh, um, one of the scenes that was uh, the most fun for me to do was the scene in which Malvolio interrupts a party from, oh. When Malvolio first meets Festi, as, like I said, Malvolio and Festi don't get along. They are polar opposites in terms of nature. Therefore, Malvolio sees nothing but contempt with Vesti. My director instructed me to play this moment, instructed both uh, me and the actor who played Vesti, to treat this as the inciting moment. That I should be mercilessly cruel with how I acted towards Vesti as a way of justifying everything that happens to Malvolio from now on. He equated the moments to... um, He equated this to a moment in a Charlie Chaplin film. Oh, 
to a moment in a Marx Brothers movie where a big, pompous, rich guy takes Harpo's harp and punches a hole through it. With that small action, the rules of comedy kind of dictate that anything that Harpo does to him from then on would be fair game. Likewise, Malvolio's confrontation with Festi is the justification for all the tricks that Festi will eventually play on him. So I use that. So I use that motivation as a way of going, trying to help out Festi and establishing my views towards Festi. The next big scene I had after my first encounter with Festi uh, was the scene in um, Act Act 2, Scene 3. My next big scene in the play is Act 2, Scene 3. This is the scene in which Malvolio interrupts a party, which could very well be a Twelfth Night party. Festi comes out with drinks and with games. Um, He sings songs. He calls uh, Sir Andrew a fool, almost appointing him as Lord of Misrule for the night. It's sort of a traditional Twelfth Night celebration. And Malvolio, in the middle of the night, comes out and interrupts the fun. I chose to play this scene in a nightgown. A lot of Malvolios have chosen to do so because, of course, it shows uh, how, while other people are having fun, Malvolio is sleeping. He says to the... He says to the revelers, My masters, are you mad? Do ye make an alehouse of my lady's house? Is there no respect? For persons, place, nor time in you. And Sir Toby responds with saying, We did keep time, sir, in our catches, our songs. Sneck up. In other words, Oh yeah, we kept time in, um, while we were singing songs. Now shut up. My favorite line, which, as Malvolio, would certainly get under his skin, is when Sir Toby says, Dost thou think that thou art... Dost thou think that because thou art virtuous, that there shall be no more cakes and ale? This moment kind of establishes how Malvolio how Toby feels about being virtuous and how uh, Malvolio feels about having fun. That to him, there is no such thing as harmless fun. There's either virtue or vice. Everything's black and white, like a Puritan's black and white pilgrim outfit. To Sir Toby, 
There is no such thing as virtue. He just does whatever he wants and will not let any kind of moral code afflict him. Both men are punished. Because their views on life are far too extreme. And that's what allows them to be made fools of. By far, Malvolio's biggest scene, and in my opinion, the funniest scene in the whole play, is Act 2, Scene 5, commonly referred to as the gulling scene. This is the scene in which Mariah writes a letter, Mariah forges a letter from Olivia, indirectly claiming that she is in love with Malvolio. And then he finds it and is convinced almost immediately that his lady loves him and she is bidding him to put on habits of her liking. They say, um, she tells him to put on yellow stockings with cross garters to quote politic authors and most jarring of all, to smile constantly in her presence. This, of course, with when you imagine Malvolio as a sternly dressed Puritan who never smiles, uh, can be a, a great deal of fun to play. Certainly, I had a lot of fun doing it. I also think that Shakespeare wrote it so well that it is virtually impossible to mess this scene up. It's full of physical comedy because the um, the three gullers, um, the three gull catchers, Toby, Mariah, and Sir Andrew, the three gull catchers, Toby, Fabian, and Sir Andrew are hiding in the background, following Malvolio about, which can be great fun when you decide where they are, if Malvolio hears them, if he does hear them, how do they convince him that they're uh, gone? How do they convince him that he's alone again? All that is great comic business. For Malvolio's part, reading the speech, it is a beautifully written letter where Shakespeare has the famous lines, be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. An obvious dirty joke, which is clearly designed to titillate Malvolio in more ways than one. Malvolio from... It also heralds a complete shift in Malvolio that, much like the spirit of Twelfth Night itself, he himself turns topsy-turvy, and instead of being austere and emotionless, he suddenly becomes a ridiculous parody of himself, a humorous man. And the energy comes when he speaks at the end. 
daylight and champagne discovers not more. I will be proud. I will put on stockings and cross garters. Even with the swiftness of putting them on, I will wash off gross acquaintance. I will baffle Sir Toby. I do not now fool myself to let imagination jade me for every reason and excites me to this, that my lady loves me. Ah. One of my favorite moments was when Malvolio discovers a postscript at the end of the letter where Olivia where Mariah, pretending to be Olivia, incites Malvolio to keep smiling. This is a great moment for the actor because he can he can choose to play it as if Malvolio has forgotten completely how to smile. I played with that for a bit, but for myself, I decided that I would rather put on a really silly, cheesy grin as if I suddenly learned how to smile in an instant because of the letter. In Act 3, Scene 5, Malvolio appears again. Our director added a little bit of comic business for me, where... It was, it's sort of a silent, dumb show where I come on wearing the yellow stockings but having them hidden underneath my normal trousers and perform a sort of fake dance with um, a broom which I then dress in Olivia's bathrobe. We did this because... Um, the jazz uh, band volunteered to provide the music for the show. And um, I had a great deal of fun finding interesting things to do while I was uh, dancing with the um, items in the um, in Olivia's bedchamber. Then when Malvolio reappears in Act 3, Scene 5, Olivia is stunned. This does not look like the guy that she has um, kept as a steward all these years. Watching other productions of Twelfth Night, I've noticed that Often, the actor who plays Malvolio is significantly older than the actress playing Mel uh, Olivia. And these older actors often take advantage of that uh, fact by playing the scene as a badly conceived seduction. Of trying to be sort of the old pantaloon from Commedia dell'arte, trying to look sexy despite the fact that they lack the physical characteristics to uh, attract Olivia. That's not the only way to play the scene, though. 
I saw a production at the American Shakespeare Center with the actor shows a similar attack to my Dwight Schrute interpretation uh, by making the scene a sort of conspiratorial scene. He knows, or so he thinks, that Olivia told him that she loves him, and now he's trying to get her on the slide to confess and to be, and to, um, and in the meantime, he's, um, enjoying the fact that he has a secret that he's sharing with her. And the more he pokes and prods trying to get her to, uh, admit that she loves him back, the more confused and agitated she becomes in response. I chose to play the speed, the scene as if as if I had a crush on one of my high school teachers and was trying to get their approval. After all, Malvolio refers several times to the parts of the letter that after all, the letter is, part, is mostly full of demands. Smile in my presence. Um, read political authors. Wear yellow stockings with cross garters. And Malvolio refers back to all of these and more. Therefore, I constantly bragged about how well I basically completed her homework assignment. To be honest, the comedy of the scene is half to do with how Malvolio treats Olivia, and the other half, how confused and frightened she gets in response. I would say it was the hardest, and I would say for this reason, it was one of the hardest scenes in the play. No. And that's what makes the scene so enjoyable to play if you have a, an Olivia who has a sense of fun. Malvolio's next scene is in a dark room where he... Um, Malvolio's next scene is in a... is supposedly in a madhouse. Malvolio thinks he's been declared insane and is uh, put in a dark room, bound up, and visited by Sir Topas the Curate who is actually just Festy in disguise. My director chose to portray this scene, since we set, it in, since we set this uh, production in the 1940s, my director chose to make this a... to play this scene as if it were a radio play. What that meant was we had Malvolio... Uh, we had a... Um, 
we had Melvolio wear a blindfold so he would think he was in a uh, dark room when in fact he'd never left the hotel and Festi would there is uh, five minutes slow down in four miles you are still on the fastest route and Festi would try to create the environment of a dark room through radio sound effects he had a little fake door some fake chains and a fake key that he would jostle and a pair of heavy boots that he would use to make footfalls. Festy also took the opportunity, since he couldn't see me, since I couldn't see him, Festy also took the opportunity to take out some lipstick and to smear it all over my face. This scene is a very good um, bit of comedy because Malvolio thinks that he's gone crazy and Festi gets his long-awaited payback by proclaiming that uh, Malvolio is a lunatic, that everything he says is wrong, and um, that he will continue to remain in darkness. But then, after Festi, after Sir Topaz leaves, Festi comes in. And and Malvolio persuades him to send a letter to Olivia telling him what happened and freeing him. This scene can set up a little bit of compassion from Festi. Meanwhile, Festi, meanwhile, Malvolio learns to be, uh, learns some humility, asking of the good fool for help, which he would never do under normal circumstances. But Festi's letter must have paid off because in the final scene, 
Malvolio comes before Olivia and tells her that she has done notorious wrong towards him. I really love the way that Nigel Hawthorne did the speech back in um, the 1996 film version of Twelfth Night, where it's a wonderful blend of heartfelt sadness. Lady, you have done me wrong, notorious wrong, and also ridiculous. Uh, he, Malvolio is at the, is at once sympathetic and pathetic in this scene. Because Hawthorne manages to be both sympathetic and pathetic. Because although everything he says is lucid, is sad, and inspires sympathy as he talks how he acted all her commands with an obedient hope and is now the most notorious geck and gull. But at the same time, he is wearing a disgusting outfit um, that has been tattered and stained with soot. His, um, his clothes are disheveled. He's still wearing the yellow stockings. Um, so he looks quite ridiculous while he's saying this. And Hawthorne is blustering and holding back tears in a way that makes you laugh in spite of yourself. I chose to play the speech straight and try to get the audience to um, not only be um, sorry for Malvolio, but almost a little afraid of what he might do in response. I chose to play the speech I chose to play it this way because of the fact that Malvolio's final line is, I'll be revenged on the whole pack of you. I, looking back, looking back, this might have not been the best choice. After all, although Malvolio has dominated the subplot has driven all the actions that Sir Toby, Sir Andrew, and most of Festy take during the course of the play, he is not the focus. And at the end, the characters pretty much push him aside. They simply cannot bring themselves to focus exclusively on him. After all, Cesario, uh, Viola has found her brother Sebastian, Orsino has fallen in love with Viola, Antonio has been released in, from prison, Olivia is married to Sebastian, everybody's having a good time. Malvolio is what the British Malvolio in this scene is sort of what the British call the specter at the feast. That one tiny reminder that 
nobody can be completely happy all the time. I suppose today would be the that lurking thought in the back of everybody's mind when they go to a, a wedding where they're well aware of the fact that half of marriages these days end in divorce. In two miles, take the airport road south exit. Whether or not it's right to laugh at Malvolio or throw him away, the response is very human. Which is what I find amazing about the speech. Which is what I find amazing about this scene. That it kind of shows how human beings compartmentalize and sometimes have to exclude things that they're not prepared to deal with. My last motion in the play, the director had me walk up a platform and trip just a little bit to make the characters laugh one more time and then catch themselves and become aware of how they've been laughing, how their laughter at Malvolio has gone too far. This might be the single hardest problem to solve in the play. You can't ignore the fact that the characters have been mean to Malvolio, and with very little reason. However, and that Malvolio's uh, offenses, though he inconveniences the other cast members, he certainly doesn't do anything cruel to them. The worst person he offends is Festy, really, just by calling him unnecessary. In a quarter mile, take the airport road south exit. The airport road south exit, then keep right at the fork. I would argue that Malvolio has to leave a bit of a bad taste in the characters' mouths. But just like the characters themselves, the audience... I would argue that for Malvolio to be effective, he has to leave a bit of a bad taste. Has to leave a bad taste in the audience's mouths. Because... He has been abused, he has been mistreated, and he doesn't deserve what happened to him. At the same time, what choice do they have? A life without frivolity would be just as bleak and dreary as a life entirely absorbed with rules and... Airport Road for a half mile. Absorbed with by rules and... Um, and class distinctions and a life where Malvolio would uh, was allowed to leave would be a dreary thing indeed 
So like the specter of the feast, Malvolio has to be passed aside. So there you go, a few insights into this complex and fascinating character. I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you also enjoy a little later when I'll be presenting a, another podcast about my portrayal of Festy, which presented a whole different set of challenges when I played it. Until next time, this is the Shakespearean student. Good night, good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow. In a quarter...